Welcome to the Weekly Squeak. This week, I should probably change the name because we're not really weekly anymore, but whatever, we'll leave it as it is. My guest this week is Cornelia Davis of Weaveworks, a company I can't believe I've not actually had on the show before. Um, Cornelia, where are you joining us from? Yes. Hi, Chris. So thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm joining you today from Santa Barbara, California. Okay. Oh, um, so I'm on the West Coast. For me. Thank you very much. <laughs> no problem. Are you kidding? I've been up since four, literally. Fair enough. <laughs> See, I first met WeaveWorks in Germany. They have an office in Berlin, actually only about 20 minutes from my house. So that's where I know them mostly from, but I know they recently expanded. Um, let's begin. I think I want to begin the show a little differently from now on. I'd like to get a little bit about you first. What brings you to Weaveworks? How did you get here? What was your kind of most recent and relevant journey to, to end up? Yeah. Here? So I have been with Weaveworks since uh, the beginning of 2020. So I started right at the beginning of January. Um, my previous gig, I hadn't resigned from a job in 20 years, um, but I had been <laughs> at four different companies so in Good. 1999, I joined a small startup, which was eRoom. Um, that was a web-based collaboration. Remember, this was 1999. So all of the things that we're so used to and know and love now, like document sharing and threaded discussions and all that stuff didn't exist on the web yet. So that was that company. That got acquired by a company called Documentum which mm -hmm. was some of your listeners I'm sure will know, which was content management, um, really made their mark in FDA submissions. Okay. That kind of got acquired by EMC. Okay. And I worked, <laughs> yep. So I worked in the corporate CTO office of EMC for about seven years. I was always in kind of CTO offices. And then we did the pivotal spinoff. And so that's yep. the most relevant part of the, yep. this conversation Yep. is that I spent the previous seven or eight years at Pivotal and even in my EMC days had started working with Cloud Foundry. Yep. So I've been working in platforms, kind of application developer platforms for um, nearly a decade, okay. uh, which is kind of cool because Kubernetes has kind of represented a renaissance in that. It has represented this like huge like adoption of platforms, not necessarily truly an app dev platform yet, but platforms have kind of seen this revolution through Kubernetes. But I actually worked on platforms five years before Kubernetes even existed. Yep. So app developer platforms. Initially, uh, Cloud Foundry um, yep. helped bring kind of helped bring that open source project to market through as a pivotal offering. Um, uh, and, um, and then in the last three or four years at Pivotal, I worked on bringing a Kubernetes platform, Kubernetes-based platform to market mm -hmm. in partnership with VMware. Um, the reason I came to, to Weaveworks is because um, I believe that it's another revolution that's happening, another significant shift in that um, what Weaveworks represents is truly the ability to make Kubernetes, the platform building platform. And yeah. we will get into the details of how that works in just a moment. So I kind of feel like it's like the next natural step to where I want to go with, with platforms. And it's definitely, there's quite a few companies in this space on with different opinions, trying to figure out how to make Kubernetes, I guess, more usable, um, easier to manage, 
easier to version, easier to integrate into existing tools. And Weaveworks is definitely flying the flag for the GitOps approach. Yep. In fact, I'm pretty sure you invented the term. Maybe. Yep. Alexis, yep. <laughs> one of our co-founders yep. and our CEO invented, coined the term, yes. So what does, let's, let's maybe start there because I think we might continue down that journey a little bit. What is GitOps? Um, I feel like it's a term people have heard, but that's probably just me. So, <laughs> so what, 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 what did Weaveworks, what do Weaveworks mean by GitOps? Yep. So, um, I, I think you're right. I think your your sense that everybody's heard of the term is right. I sometimes joke around that it's the center square on the buzzword bingo card, which if you haven't looked at a bingo card lately, the center square is actually free. And so I mean that quite intentionally. It's like you hear GitOps in every conversation, so it's like having a free square. Um, but I think that the term is there's a lot of confusion um, wrapped around the term. I think that for some individuals, they believe that any kind of automation that is triggered by actions in Git means that they're doing GitOps. Mm-hmm. And that's not what we mean. Um, okay. We that is that's valuable, by the way. That is it's not that there that there's anything particularly wrong with that. Um, I think and, and automation. To, to, to clarify here, you mean things like CI C D, GitHub Actions, GitLab. That's actions, right. <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Yep. yep. Tecton. Okay. There's, I mean, just about any kind of an automation system, and it could even be something as simple as a bash script, you know, any kind of automation that we have can be in some way using something like GitHub Actions or something else triggered so events can fire off and initiate that automation. Um, and, and so, you know, Git automation is valuable. There's no question about that. But that's not what we mean by Git ops. And you might have even gotten a little hint of it in the way that I articulated the term. It's Git ops. We tend to over-rotate on the Git part of Git ops. Okay, yeah. yeah. But what we believe is really key is that the, oper- the way that we do the ops, the way that we do the automation is even more important um, or certainly equally important as the role that Git plays in the whole story, which we'll talk about, you know, the role that Git plays and so on. And the particular thing that we think is so valuable on the operation side is that we are taking something that was popularized by Kubernetes in mm. the first use case for Kubernetes, and that is constant reconciliation. So when Kubernetes in use case one, and it's really only use case one of Kubernetes, started working with container orchestration, they didn't just look at the landscape and say, we'll throw containers here, here, and here, and then we're done. They built that machinery as a constant reconciler because they recognized that in the cloud and in cloud native, on-prem public cloud, just in this new world that we live in, there's always some change. And so Kubernetes and Google before Kubernetes, you know, Borg and so on, embrace this model of you're never done. And so we build systems in such a way that they're constantly adapting. Okay. That is what we, that's the importance that we put on the ops side. We say, that model that Kubernetes popularized around container orchestration, 
of constant adaptation, constant adjusting to the changes that it could be a, a, a failure. It could be somebody maliciously or accidentally changing something in a runtime system. It could be an intentional, I want to release a new version. The whole point is that there's constant change. So we have to program our automation in such a way that adapts to that constant change. That's what GitOps does. It says, all right, let's use all these good parts about Git. And I'm sure we'll talk about some of those. But then when you apply the automation to it, apply it in a way that works for the cloud and in in a way that we can call it legitimately cloud native. So just to, just before we go down the positive, I would like to just, because you mentioned it quite a few times there, just think about one of the one potential negatives of GitOps and one of the main criticisms that you talked about constant change. Now, whilst Git is good at change, it's not so good at constant change, especially from a lot of sources. And is there, do you mean, do you have a, a tool, a practice, a recommendation around around that. If things are constantly changing in a repository, you might get merge conflicts and things like that. Or have I completely misunderstood what you well, meant? Well, the constant that? change doesn't only come from the Git side. Okay. So the constant change is my infrastructure is shifting out from under me. So I I had three availability zones and one of them just went poof. So now I only have two availability zones. Mm -hmm. Or um, the change could be that somebody has done what I like to call the modern day equivalent of SSHing into a box. They've done a (laughs) kub cuddle apply. They've said, oh, I want to change something in the running environment. And they do a kub cuddle apply. And what they've just done is they've, they've introduced drift. Because one of the mainstays, the okay. things that we right. found that is very valuable is immutable infrastructure. So part of GitOps is you declare everything and we'll come back to, does it have to be in Git? Not necessarily. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, but we declare everything. We have, we have the desired state stored. And then what we do with all this automation is make sure that it stays in alignment. So if somebody introduces Drift, GitOps, that is one of the most valuable things, kind of from a business value perspective. The valuable things is that we, it's inherent. It's part of GitOps. We detect Drift and you can decide, I just want to auto-correct that Drift. I'm going to auto-correct back to what the desired state was. So this is why we should we should be calling it more like Git Ops, not Git. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yep. All right. <laughs> okay. Let's let's have a look. I'm forgive me whilst I look the other way to attempt to get a list in front of me, because you have quite a lot of um, open source projects that uh, all relate to this. Um, I'm trying to remember because I think. There's some you've had for some time, and some are more recent in my mind, or maybe they've changed. Um, you have quite a few. You have Cortex. You have X C. I know there's been this recent trend of calling it Cuddle, but I'm going to call it CTL. I'm very sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, Firecube, Flagger, Flux, NetScope, and WQS CTL. WQS. <laughs> yep. Whoops. Cuddle. Cuddle. might sound better actually. Um, I'm just annoyingly I cannot seem to get just like a list of them all in one place without looking at a menu on on the website. Possibly because I'm looking at the website on my iPad, which is not particularly optimized. Um, but very briefly, let's come back to Flux at the end because that's kind of the main reason we're here to talk. Yep. 
where where do these various tools fit in the chain? And I'm guessing some will fit in more than others, and some have a bigger role than others. But um, explain some of them and, and how where they came from and what problems they help solve. Sure. And with that, I'll, I'll maybe give you a little bit of a history of the company. So Weaveworks mm-hmm. has been around for about six years yep. or so. So yep. notice that's like even before, you know, Kubernetes was really heading into the industry. I think when I first encountered Weaveworks, you might have even been doing Mesos as everybody was <laughs> yep. before Kubernetes. I can't and, and that was remember, before but... my time at Weaveworks. Yeah. So I, you're right. We might have been doing Mesos. But initially it was born out of a desire to do um, networking, container networking. So yep. to get yes. into the yes. space of container yes. networking. Yes. And so the of the open source projects, and like you said, there are quite a, quite a number of them. Some of them are in the CNCF, some of them are not, but we have lots mm-hmm. of open source projects. The first one was WeaveNet. Yep, um, that's the one I remember, because I remember doing Docker Swarm with it. <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly. So it was container networking. And I hear there is there is a bit of a story that in doing some of that initial container networking, some of the ideas that now look an awful lot like service meshes were floated. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like it was maybe a little too far out there. And it might have, had we done that, it might have been a little too early to market. Yeah. Um, but yeah, some of those ideas were there. So WeaveNet was the first one. Um, then, now, now called WeaveNet. Yeah, I can see. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And sometimes people still refer to it as Weave. Yeah. And, weave. and that is confusing because I think there's now another project called Weave, I think, which it makes it even more confusing. I feel like yeah. I feel like I've come across something else also called Weave. I mean, it's a it's an unfortunate name because a lot of people are like, well, we want to connect things together. <laughs> yep. So, yep. Okay. And Cortex, which I must admit, I didn't realize Cortex was actually um, a Weaveworks project. Um, I have encountered it more recently in the um, Grafana Prometheus space, and yep. I did not actually realize that it was a, a Weave creation. So there we go. There's yep, another one. That's right. Is, so Cortex was incubated yeah. at Weaveworks. And you're right. At the moment, it is taking care of far more by Grafana Labs. Yeah the Grafana and Prometheus community. But what Cortex is, is it's essentially an at-scale implementation of Prometheus. Um, And so you can, you know, scale it out. I remember when I first started learning about Prometheus, it was really kind of a single server or single, you know, single instance solution. And so Cortex is in some ways comparable to Thanos. Um, So those are a couple of solutions. Um, and then moving on in the trajectory of, of the company, at one point we said, all right, well, this, this notion of observability on top of Kubernetes is something that is emerging is quite valuable. And so it definitely we, is. Uh, yeah, I think I've had, um, I think, almost 50% of my um, subjects over the past few months have been on observability in various ways. I could almost change the name of the show maybe, but uh, (laughs) it seems to become a big topic very, very quickly in the past few months. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And I, and you might've noted that I just recently joined the CNCF technical oversight committee and we were going through the process of the part of the structure is that the TOC has liaisons to each of the special interest groups. And there's a special interest group on observability. And when it came time for the TO, the new TOC members to kind of throw their hat in the ring and say, you know, what what SIG do you want to work with? 
Um, the natural one for me would have been SIG app delivery because that's really where the GitOps, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a bit. That's where yeah. GitOps kind of lives most naturally. And I said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I, I'll be, you know, I'll pair with somebody on that. I have another TOC member that we're pairing with on that. But I intentionally threw my hat in the ring for observability because observability is so key to Git. Because how do you know about this? How do you drive this reconciliation? It's the OODA loop. But yeah. one of the O's in the OODA loop is observe. And so observability is so central to GitOps. In, in any case, yeah. so yeah. <laughs> there's the observability <laughs> side. So kind of fast forwarding, we created a SaaS offering, which offered some observability yeah. stuff. You can, of course, if you use that, it's Weave Cloud. You can see some of the 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 history that I just talked about. So for example, we do show networks of nodes, but those, the, but the connections between those nodes is actually based on network traffic. It's not based on the configuration. It's not the configuration topology. It's actually watching network traffic and it's, it's showing you diagrams like that. That took me a little while to kind of grok, but. And is this um, via we've scope? Correct. Exactly. Yeah, which I think is another one that you've had for a little while. I seem to remember that as well. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So there's Weave Scope. Um, and then, of course, there is it was through that SaaS experience where we were providing this observability tool that we were, and we were running it in production. It was a SaaS service. And we started using a specific set of practices to run our production service. Namely, we were storing our declarative mm-hmm. configuration in Git, mm-hmm. and we were using automation that constantly made sure that what was in Git was getting reflected properly in our SaaS environment. And that was where GitOps was born. And yeah. that was where that was the beginning of some of these other projects, like the yeah. Flux project that we'll talk okay. about more. Let's dig into Flux because you do have plenty more. In fact, almost too many to talk about. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, so yeah, let's let's get to Flux because that was our main reason of talking. And um, I think there's going to be a lot more here. Firstly, I'm interested um, because you it has its own separate web page as well. Um, was that? I mean, do all of your open source projects have their own web presence? And it just happens to be the one that we're talking about. So I have it open, or is is there, is there another reason for Flux kind of being a bit more separated? So I think that there's two answers. I I don't think necessarily every project, but a lot of open source projects these days do have their their website associated with that. But I think the reason that the the dial is turned up to 11, if you will, on on FluxCD, and it's FluxCD.io, is that um, the Flux project uh, and, 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 you know, technology is a CNCF project. Yep. While it was incubated at Weaveworks, it was donated to the CNCF in 2019. So all of the IP, the copyrights were assigned over um, when it became a sandbox project in 2019. Um, okay. We also have a pretty significant user community, and that drives the need to um, support that community. And so having a substantial um, web uh, web presence, you know, web website to support yeah. that, I think is yeah. key. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's, I don't think, I think most people would agree that 
and, and my personal opinion is that Kubernetes has been so monstrously successful for two reasons. Number one, the technology is just damn good. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. is just good. It is, you know, with the extensible API, like I said, container orchestration was only use case one. Um, it does so much more than that. And we're now seeing the Kubernetes community apply it in so many different ways. But then the second reason that it was so successful is that they absolutely, the CNCF threw their weight behind making users successful with it. And that is a website. It is videos. It's tutorials. Yeah. It's blog posts. It's marketing. It's it's all of that stuff. And you have quite and a so- lot here from various different people, which is which is a good sign. <laughs> yeah. yep. And we aim to, we aim to do that. And I, we have ways to go still with flux, but we, yeah. and when I say we here, I don't just mean WeWorks. I mean the flux community. The community we yeah. have a pretty yeah. vibrant community that are all pretty motivated to see flux reach that level of success. So we haven't really covered exactly what flux is yet. So let's um, go back a step. I'm assuming the CD refers to continuous delivery. Maybe I hope it does. Um, and it says the GitOps family of projects, which I think also includes, from far as I can tell, Flagger and Correct. GitOps Toolkit, which sounds intriguing. That could be a whole in, in conversation itself, potentially. Um, so I'm going to just read out the tagline because I think sometimes that's a nice place to start. A set of continuous and progressive delivery solutions for Kubernetes, and they are open and extensible. So, Yeah. What do you mean here then? And how does it how does it help me in comparison to Jenkins or Circle or you know all the other options that are available to me? Cool. Okay. So I'm gonna start again with Kubernetes. So yeah. Kubernetes, what Kubernetes brought to the picture was they brought an API that is not a set of instructions, but they brought an API that is a declarative configuration. So you describe what you want in your deployment. And then, yeah, you can kubectl apply it, but that's just here. Here's my declaration. And then it has these agents that are constantly reconciling against that. What, what we did with GitOps is we said, all right, we're going to capitalize on that. We're going to build on top of that. And what we are going to now say is, notice that when I said declarative configuration, I didn't tell you anything about how you manage that declarative configuration. I just said there is a declarative configuration and the reconcilers in Kubernetes will make sure that what's running, you know, in in the target environment matches that. How do you get that over to Kubernetes? How do you know you have the right version of that? What happens Mm. if you want to go back to an earlier version of that? What if you want to use other tools other than YAML? You don't want to be a YAML engineer. You want to Hmm. express things in JavaScript or TypeScript. So you're going to use something like CDK, which is um, a a library that allows you to to express your declarative configuration in TypeScript. Oh, really? I've not come across that. That sounds quite fascinating. And it's making me think of an interview I did Last year was to people. We'll come back to that in a second. <laughs> yep. So, so there's a whole host of things that you can say, well, yeah, there's things that you might want to express things differently. How do you keep track of these? How do you version these things? And that's where we um, brought the notion of Git to the table. Mm-hmm. And I'll talk about how Flux does this in just a moment. So this is where we said, okay, well, GitOps brings 
a management approach for those that declarative configuration. So you're going to have a version to history, and then you're going to be able to adopt some of the things that um, you've been, you, you've the developers have adopted. Things like, are you going to use trunk based? Um, development. So now configuration, that configuration is code and you can apply all sorts of things to it. You can apply the collaborative capabilities of Git and so on. And then just putting it in Git still doesn't deal with, well, okay, I put it in Git. So do I want that version in Git, that version two, do I want that deployed to dev staging and prod at the same time? Hmm. What do I, what do I want? No, I want to apply it to dev first, but I don't want to apply it to prod yet. And then there's that whole process of the delivery part. And then finally, there's the, once I've delivered it, how did Kubernetes do with that? How did, you know, how did the the runtime system do with that? And is there anything that I need to reflect back? I want to close that loop all the way back into my Git repository. So when I, for example, say, okay, I now want version two deployed into prod and something goes wrong and we say, no, 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 we're not, we didn't actually deploy version two. We have to somehow reflect that back in the source of truth, which is Git to say, actually, we tried to do a delivery. Something went wrong. We pulled back. And we're still on version one, we need to reflect that as well. And so Flux plays a, a role in that Flux essentially provides a set of tools. Now, th- actually, this is only a portion of Flux. There's a big portion of Flux that s- provides a set of tools that provide that linkage between Git and the Kubernetes environment that allow you to program all of that logic that I just talked about. Oh, wait, do I want to do it in dev? Do I want to do it in prod? How many instances? My configuration is going to be slightly different because I don't have the production database over here. And how do I manage these, these different configurations? So Flux is about bridging that gap. And by the way, parts of Flux will do things in, to the point where it will even generate a Git repository for you. <laughs> so we will, if, if you if you've done that out of band, great. We'll connect to yeah. it. But for an easier getting started experience, you might just want to say, "Hey, I want to. I have a new project that I'm kicking off." And we say, "Great, we'll create a, a template repository for you, and and we'll set up all the connections so that now your developers can just go to Git and drop code in there, and boom, shows up in their cluster." How, how does that, the, the one thing I'm, I'm just trying to, I, I can see where this would be very useful in, in lots of, for lots of reasons, but the one thing I'm just struggling to piece together is how, uh, say I've, I've done these things, <laughs> how do I see the results? Does Flux show me that or do I have to connect it to the observability tools as well to, to see what happened and what happened because of that and things like that? Flux will show you some level of it. So Flux, for example, and I'll take a moment to talk about the GitOps Toolkit. What the GitOps Mm -hmm. Toolkit does is it gives you a set of utilities where you can string together these various components of Flux. The components of Flux, by and large, are reconciling agents, but you can link them together. So, for example, there's one agent that will connect to a Git repository and will be constantly watching that Git repository. By the way, I can decide... 
Well, you know what? Things don't change in Git all the time. So my reconciliation loop over here in Git is going to be on a 10-minute interval. But then you can have other things that are, you, 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 for example, want to find drift ASAP. So you're going to put that reconciler on a one-minute interval so that if somebody does introduce drift, maybe it's even malicious, you know within a minute and you're backing that out. So you can, that's what the GitOps toolkit allows you to do. It allows you to program the GitOps model and, and compose these things. So back to your observability question, what we can do is we can string together these steps in the GitOps workflow. In, so I'm going to sync from a Git repository, yeah. then I'm going to apply some processing to apply the final YAML that I'm going to send over to Kubernetes. It might be customization, it might be a Helm operation. So I'm going to generate my YAML. In the observability, um, what we do is we... we we tied together, if you will, the breadcrumbs. So it will show you, here's the Git SHA. And it'll show you that Git SHA that I have pulled this Git SHA from the repository. Oh, look, I've also applied this Git SHA. This Git SHA is actually running, has been delivered to the cluster. And then we go so far as to say the runtime objects, what is the status of those runtime objects? So we will reflect that all the way back and connect mm-hmm. those things. Now that's relatively high level status. It does not take the place of the observability tools that are going to go and provide you more visualizations to lower level um, uh, metrics. And in fact, we when we talk about Flagger, we depend on some of those observability tools to be able to drive kind of that progressive delivery, which we'll yeah. talk about. And Flagger is interesting in itself. I'll come to that in one second. So just mm-hmm. one thing I also wanted to clarify, because I've just been checking myself. Uh, Flux itself has to run on a, also runs on a cluster of its own, I think. Yeah. Maybe. Well, there's options, because I can also see a homebrew formula. So <laughs> I guess there's options then. Yeah, well, so there's two elements. Like like most um, of our kind of cloud tools, there there's some stuff that runs in the CLI. Okay. Um, and so, for example, when when I said we create Git repositories for you, that is initiated from your from the CLI because we okay. we piggyback on top of your um, Git uh, um, sessions. Okay. So there's and, and the, of- the CLI is running wherever really on, on my yeah. yeah. On, on yeah. it, the same place that your kube control or your kube CTL would be running, yeah. it's it's just running on your your workstation there or your your, your my laptop or, or automated through some other means maybe. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. Exactly. Um, but these agents that I talked about, these reconcilers, those run in in a cluster. Yeah. And there's two topologies. There's two deployment topologies. You can run Flux on a Kubernetes cluster and you can configure these GitOps flows so that Flux will apply the changes that it's seeing in Git, for example, to a different cluster. Mm -hmm. You can do that, but you can probably tell by the way that I'm saying that, that that's not the preferred option. The preferred option is to have Flux and the, all of the agents, and there's a whole host of these agents, the Flux agents running on the cluster that's essentially instrumenting 
self. Okay. And there's all sorts of advantages to that. First of all, it scales beautifully. You don't have to worry about a, and we have customers that are talking about applying these GitOps practices to tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of clusters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kubernetes is going on cell towers, right? Yep. And yep. so if you're not running Flux inside of a centralized cluster, then you don't have to worry about scale from the 100,000 or the 10,000. You also, by being at the edge, have a natural, you're, you're following the right pattern, which is the edge is what checks in with some centralized service yeah. rather than the centralized yeah. service trying to push out to the edge. Yeah. Which yeah. also has security advantages because now you don't have some centralized server that has the keys to a hundred thousand kingdoms. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Each kingdom yeah. is just their own environment. And so yeah. our recommended topology, and I would say that the vast majority of people using flux today are using it in what we call a pull model. They're running okay. the yeah, agent inside of the yeah. cluster and yeah. they're pulling their configuration into that environment. Yeah. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, and just to come back to Flagger, so Flagger actually solves another problem that I have often heard mentioned as a negative for GitOps in it helps you do feature flagging, <laughs> hence the name. The name is relatively obvious, um, canary deployments, yeah, feature flag type deployments, etc. Um so that's, I guess that's a more of an optional part. Um, yeah. So it's a if, if, you'll, yeah. If you'll let me chime in there, there's, there's an element. So I've been, what we've talked about so far with GitOps was we talked about, and as you pointed out, Flux CD refers yeah. to continuous delivery. But what Flagger represents, and Flagger, we recently moved Flagger under, under mm-hmm. Flux because it really is a GitOps, it's a GitOps yeah. Tool. It's a GitOps tool. Remember that some of the stuff that we were just talking about in Flux so far was we connect to the Git repository, yep. we pull from the Git repository and deliver to my own cluster and that kind of thing. But what Flagger does is it says, okay, once that configuration has been delivered into the Kubernetes cluster, let me play a role in how it shows up as a deployed set of assets. Mm-hmm. Now, Flagger doesn't try to, it doesn't replace what Kubernetes does in terms of the deployment. It doesn't replace replica sets. It doesn't replace the deployment. What it says is, as that deployment is going on, I'm going to add, I'm, it's additive to that. It says, okay. I'm yeah. going to add yeah. to that yeah. observability. So we specifically use Prometheus. Mm-hmm. In in the in the Flagger implementation, you can plug in other things, but I don't know that anybody ever has because they tend to, so many people use Prometheus and we ship it, you know, we, we deploy out of the box with Prometheus. So now it's using those observability metrics to say, all right, I'm not going to just let the deployment happen and then look at the status and say, did it work or not? I'm going to start incrementally and maybe based on feature flags, start to roll out a little bit of this and watch. Mm-hmm. And it you can configure it so that it looks at specific Prometheus metrics. Yeah. And then based on those Prometheus metrics, it does traffic shifting. So it will connect to your ingress ah, or your service mesh, and it will 
it instrument the ingress and the service mesh in the process of doing this progressive delivery. So I like to say, I've been talking about these agents, or I sometimes call them controllers, because that's the Kubernetes word for these reconciling agents, is that there's two categories. GitOps consists of two sets of controllers. One are these delivery controllers. They connect to Git. They apply customizations. They expand Helm charts, et cetera, et cetera. These are all kind of the delivery controllers. And then there's a host of runtime controllers that then make it so in the runtime environment. And by the way, those runtime controllers can instrument things other than Kubernetes objects. So Flagger is doing, you know, container images that Kubernetes yeah. is doing. But I, I could this. be instrumenting, yeah. I could yeah. be instrumenting infrastructure. Yeah. I could be spinning up VMs. I could be changing networks. Yeah. And so that means yeah, I can, I can get off yeah, yeah. infrastructure too. The the kind of stuff that isn't always relevant being in Kubernetes, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Okay, cool. I have two more questions. One is very specific to Flux and one is bringing it back to Weaveworks. So the very reason that we, we, we are here today and you mentioned it in, in, in passing is that Flux is now a CNCF incubation project. That's right. Um, I think most people listening to this would know what CNCF is, the Cloud Native Computing foundation mm-hmm. um, and it's always kind of a good thing a big thing when open source projects are become part of a foundation because it as you've alluded to it means that they're deemed independent of one company they've gone through various uh, governance structures and things like that what does incubating mean though there's these kind of various levels um what, do, what, what does it mean? What does it mean to you, I suppose? Yep. And so this is where I'm actually so delighted to be able to wear my TOC hat. So mm-hmm. the TOC is the Technical Oversight Committee. Um, a big part of their responsibility is to, to uh, look after this process. And the process has three stages, sandbox, incubating, and graduated. And so I'm now getting to, I'm, I'm, I'm living, I'm not just reading about it. I'm doing this. I'm, I'm part of the team that does this. Yeah. The sandbox level is the bar is not set very high. It is intentionally yeah. set low. There is a bar so that not, you know, that we want to make sure there isn't a signal to noise ratio problem, but it's intentionally set quite low to be able to allow lots of different projects to come into the CNCF and operate in a collaborative environment that truly is this wonderful CNCF foundation. And, and cultivate the ongoing. And cultivate. Well. Yeah. It's really a great place to do open source in a great way. And it's extraordinary the number of projects that are applying for Sandbox. Um, the TOC goes through about every quarter and does a Sandbox review. And we usually have about a dozen projects at least every quarter <laughs> that we review to see if okay. they're ready for Sandbox. And they almost always are. Now, um, when we get to incubation, that's where incubation represents a bit of a bit more of a a a little bit more of more due diligence. And due diligence is exactly the word that we do. That is the place when you go for incubation. That's where you do the due diligence. The due diligence studies things like does it have a good sustainable architecture. So there's some Mm. technical due diligence. But then there's also due diligence around, is there a vibrant community around this? 
Yeah. Is there, is this a single vendor product or is this truly a community product? Um, do we have a sense that this is going to survive longer than, you know, if, if it's a single vendor, for example, yeah. if that vendor yeah. gets acquired, for example, and the acquiring company doesn't care about that project anymore. We want incubating projects to be able to live beyond just yeah. the handful of committers. Is it truly a collaborative environment? And so there's quite a bit of work that's done to reach incubation status. And so that is a much, much higher bar. And then graduation is something yep. that really is just, a, it's for the most part, there's a few other due diligence things that we do. There's like security reviews and things like that. But to a large extent, you get to a graduated level when everybody's just using it. it it's, yep. it's at scale when you hit scale with the project. I'm also guessing for Flux, this probably also means, because you've um, mentioned here Flux version 2 getting closer to general availability. So that's probably also part of it, I guess, as well. Yeah, um, I mean, our, the incubation was not tied to Flux V2. It was almost happening right around the same time. Yeah. Um, but one of the interesting things to note is that Flux, I mean, honestly, we could have, we would, we were ready for incubation a long time ago. And, and what I offer as proof for that is that the CNCF, another one of the many wonderful things they have is they have an end user community. And the end yeah. user community last June started publishing tech radars. And so this is, the end users, and there's about 150 of them, end user organizations, they pick a topic and they decide and they they rank the different technologies. And in fact, you mentioned a couple of these earlier, which I never got, I'll quickly circle back to. So the first tech radar last June was in continuous delivery. Mm-hmm. And so they ranked everything from Flux to other projects like Jenkins and Circle CI and those types of things. And that tech radar landed two technologies in the center. One was Helm, mm-hmm. which is graduated. Yep. And the other was Flux. This was last <laughs> June already. The end user community said Flux was in the center of that tech radar. Um, some of the other technologies, by the way, just to close that loop is that Jenkins and Circle CI and those, they're great in the CI space, very, very mature. We fundamentally believe that CD is separate from CI and mm-hmm. that if you just tack a delivery step onto the end yep. of your CI, yep. Yep. You, it, it's, not, it's not the right solution. And yes. even technologies like Spinnaker and stuff are an outcropping of that you know, that understanding that that's and not. I have written problem. blog posts on this very subject somewhere. I can't even remember yeah. where, but yes. Okay. And um, I just wanted to very quickly recap some of the statistics here that you very nicely published in a, in a post that I will put in the links. Um, Cause also I think they're quite interesting. Um, 40,000 contributions 26,000 since Sandbox, which I think shows you how what an impact that going to Sandbox can have. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could just reel out statistics, but basically in every case, contributions, contributors, commits, um, stars, we could say that about three quarters of all of them came after Sandbox. So that's an important phase for any projects out there that are, <laughs> yeah. that are thinking about it. It's very useful. And you yeah. do very, very... Um, carefully here put yeah, 14 maintainers in 
five companies, which may not sound like a lot to some people, but in in the general open source space, that is actually quite good. Um, yep. So, yep. Yeah. And bringing it all back to Weaveworks, so Weave Cloud, does it include Flux as part of it or some kind of version of it? Or It does. So Weave Cloud was initially focused on observability, but then once mm. we, as I said, in running that SaaS offering is what led to these the recognition that there's these practices and then some tooling that support those practices that then became coined, the name was coined as, as GitOps. Um, once we had Flux, we made that also available. So part of what you can do with Weave Cloud is that you can, when you're on Weave Cloud, you can say, here's a cluster and we will automatically put the Flux agents. Remember we said the preferred topologies uh, okay. put Flux okay. on the cluster and then at that point, you have the ability to just do the GitOps process, drop your workloads into a Git repository and those Flux agents. And we not only install it, but we GitOps those agents so that if there's an update to Flux, we'll automatically update those. Now, that's Weave Cloud. The other thing I have to mention, though, is that we also have a an enterprise product that is not a SaaS offering, and that's Weave Kubernetes platform, and that, if you will, is the GitOps platform um, for your enterprise. And so uh, that is also where Flux is is a part of that um, and some of our other technologies, but that's oh, yeah. really the core of the it. GitOps platform that we are bringing to market, and we'll the see Weave a lot of Kubernetes that. platform, yeah. Oh, WKP, now the WKP. WKP. Exactly. WKP Kuttle. I think I'm actually going to stick to using that. It doesn't sound right, but it rolls off the tongue better. Yeah, it does. <laughs> quicker. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know when we started doing that, but um, CTL is a bit long-winded. Kuttle yeah. just makes me think of cuttlefish the whole time. But anyway, that I digress. Um, so that was a really good conversation. I feel like we could have had an episode about every single piece of I think project so. that WeaveWorks has. and. I say I apologize. It's taken me so long to have you on the show. I don't know why. <laughs> Especially so as half now. your team lives so <laughs> close to me. We could have actually done this a long time ago. Yeah. Um, so Flux is at fluxcd.io. Weave is at weave.works. And I do remember that I think you were one of the first companies to get one of these strange um, end domain names. Exactly. And it always used yep. to confuse people <laughs> yep. a few years back. Um, and if anyone wants to talk to you directly, especially about things like the the um, SIGs and things like that, is there a preferred way you have? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Um, my handle is C Davis A F C. So that to, to to it's an acronym that stands for allergy free cook. So okay. my son was pretty <laughs> sick when he was little, and I learned. Yeah. I made him well through through good nutritious food and allergy free mm-hmm. food. So it's C Davis AFC. Um, and if we put that in the show notes, people can yep. find me that way. But uh, do you also lurk on the um, the Slack? The Kubernetes Slack channel? Yeah. I do. I do. I'm definitely in um, even more so the CNCF Slack environment um, because I spent a lot of time there even through yeah. the TOC. Yeah. Um, and then we didn't talk about it, but there is another place that you can find me is there is a um, sandbox project for Git. Um, for GitOps uh, that was just approved um, in January. And there's a working group that curates that and takes care of that sandbox project. Mm -hmm. And that's the GitOps working group. 
Um, so you can also, if you, if you do a search for GitOps working group, you could, you can find me through that channel and, and various other, you know, we had 40 different companies, 60 individuals that expressed an interest in engaging in the GitOps working group. So well, we, we started this call with you saying you've been up since 4am and now I understand why <laughs> <laughs> with all these yeah. things going on and, yeah. and still cooking nutritious food as well, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you very much for joining me. And, um, yeah, if people are interested in checking out any of the open source projects that WeWorks has, they're all possible to take a look at. I may actually consider Flux and some others for my um, hands-on um, live stream, a slightly different stream I do. There would be some that are very appropriate for that. So watch watch my YouTube channel for some of that in the future. And, again, yeah, thanks very much for joining me, uh, Cornelia, and thanks for finally bringing WeWorks to the stream. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a delight.